Welcome, family, friends, fans, and foes. It's time again for Talking Wrestling on Never Sleeps Network. Thank you for joining me. I am your host, comedian Casey Corbin. Wrestling's only authentic Corbin. Forget about that Baron Corbin. He's a dumpster fire in the making. Folks, we've got a great show for you today. Usually I do my my little monologue beforehand, but not much of a monologue today. I'm very excited. This weekend, like most of you, uh, well, this is being pre-taped. I'll just let you know that. But uh, this weekend, I was planning on watching NXT. And SummerSlam at home, but then guest Ryan Denis and uh, guest Jan Murphy, who you might remember from the Kingston episodes that I did on the road. Uh, well, Jan is down doing SummerSlam, but Ryan was coming to Detroit, as you recall him saying, and he was doing a show with the Million Dollar Man. And uh, I decided to skip SummerSlam and join him on the venture. And right now, on Talking Wrestling, I'm sitting across from WWE Hall of Famer. I'm very happy to have him, Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man. Thanks for doing the show, Ted. How are you? I'm doing great, brother, and it's great to be here with you. Fantastic. Uh, a lot of people don't know this. Uh, I met you maybe last December. You did a show in Ottawa, and I was lucky enough to get a spot and uh, host it. And uh, it was great because as I was, you know, you've entertained me for so many years. So as I'm doing my jokes, I'm looking out of the corner of my eye. I'm like, you know, I know the, I don't want to make the crowd laugh, but I want to make sure that Ted DiBiase is laughing. So, and I look over there as I was telling my silly undertaker story and i saw you laughing pretty hard and i was i was very happy that uh you know after years and years of you entertaining me that if i can make you laugh for five minutes mission accomplished so thank you for coming to ottawa and uh and that was a great night and here we are not even a year later in detroit and uh gonna get to see you perform tomorrow night and looking forward to it and uh we're in uh we're in Hey, we're in, uh, you know, we're, gonna... <laughs> we're, we're recording here in the Marriott by the hotel. And uh, it's very funny. We went out to breakfast this morning and it's just great to see how people take to you. People are just so excited to see you like flying Brian, our waiter. Oh my God. He was it's so just, excited. It's just crazy. The, uh, that, you know, here I am, I'm 63 years old. I haven't been in the ring for over 20 years. And, and uh, the number of fans and the people that, that still still recognize me. I, you know, I say this all the time and just about everywhere I go, wrestling fans are the best because they're loyal. They're just so loyal. I couldn't be happier. And and back to when we first met in, in, in Ottawa, that was like the very first time that I ventured out into this neck of the woods that you're so familiar with, you know, the you know being a comic. And it's, it's not so much that I'm a comic, it's that like several of my friends, I have some really great funny stories about my career, my life, things that happened in the ring and things that happened out of the ring. But just so you know, that night, I was a little nervous because I had never done this before. And I'm not, you know, I don't know how these people are going to take this or not. And I don't know if they're going to be happy or unhappy. And, and as, as it as it turned out, it went very well. And that was kind of catapulted me. That's why that's well, you know, as you know, I came back uh, post WrestleMania and did eight days you know, in Ontario and eight different venues. And, and that's what's, that's how I've ended up here going to be at uh, Mark Ridley's uh, uh, comedy club here in Detroit, which is a, you know, pretty well-renowned comedy club and uh, doing it again, you know, following in the footsteps of uh, JR and, yeah. you know, uh, 
Mick Foley and, and Jake and, and Jake and yeah, it, you know, I think it's a natural transition eventually because Bret Hart would always say we're storytellers and in the end it's the same as comedy we're just telling stories but we're just trying to make them a little funnier right and you don't you don't need to punch up your stories your stories are plenty funny to begin with <laughs> yeah you know like uh, just the stories that you're telling us at breakfast are very entertaining and they're not even in the in the shoe for tonight you know wow. uh, for the show tonight um, so I have I have some notes and I have some questions now some of these questions are serious and some of these questions uh, the show is like uh, where wrestling and comedy collide so i'll just start with this, a serious question then maybe we'll work into some funny okay. questions so when you started the million dollar corporation that was deep in your wwe run or wwf run whatever you want to call it you do you feel you got your money's worth out of your investment on nikolai volkoff <laughs> that's a serious question. No, that's a, <laughs> no, that's a joke. Oh my god! You paid one cent oh for him. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! That was so. That, that that that's funny. No, no. That actually, that was like. Well, I'll tell you what. In the long run, I probably got more out of Nikolai than I did Virgil. <laughs> Uh, that is probably totally true. Nick Wise at least had a, a long career and uh, many belts. So, so let's just start. Um, you know, you, you, you're your second generation wrestler. And uh, what year did you get into wrestling? About seventy five, you said. Uh, the summer of nineteen seventy five. It was actually uh, the summer between what was going to be the summer between my junior and senior year in college. I had played football at West Texas State, freshman, sophomore, junior year on an invitation by Dick Murdoch to just try it out. I had actually spent the previous summer as a referee, mm -hmm. uh, as, as a summer job, refereeing wrestling matches in the what was called the Amarillo Territory. Okay. You know, being the third man in the ring gave me a lot of insight in, into the psychology of, of our business. And uh, so the next year, Dick Murdoch was headed to what was, you know, now known as Mid-South Wrestling. Yeah. Uh, Cowboy Bill Watts and he said if you want I could probably get uh, Bill to book you and we'll give you a start this summer and see if you really want to do this for a living and I thought that was a great idea Yeah. and so I, I went there in June of 1975 uh, 21 years old still with a, a year of, of college ahead of me and uh, things went so well that I didn't go back to school and finish. And it's worked out for you, obviously. Well, it's worked out for me, but <laughs> the, it's the one thing in my life, you know, and, I, and it's something I preach to my own, own my own kids now. If you start something, finish it. Yeah. I mean, uh, even though things worked out, uh, it couldn't have worked out any better in terms of my career and, and things that have happened for me. But if I had it all to do over again, I, I would, you know, even now, even 63 years old, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm so busy doing a number of things, uh, I still say, if I ever get the time, I'm going to do it. I'm, You're going to go back and I'm get that go, finish I'm that go back and get that get that degree if I can. That's fantastic. That is, uh, it's very inspirational too, especially if you do do it. You know, it's uh, you know that's something you know that you left uncompleted. You finished it off, and that's great. So you got broken in. You went and you trained with the Funks, right? With uh, Dory and uh, and Terry. Um, what was that like? Like, were they would, would they give you any breaks because you're because of your father, or you know, or did they break your leg the first time you wrestled like Hulk Hogan or anything like that? Or are there any stories like how how um, how tough was the the breaking into the? Well, industry? you know, and, and again, because I 
I grew up in the in the in the business, and I was so familiar with the business. Uh, you know, it made it different. It wasn't like if an, an outsider, I would mm-hmm. be considered an insider because I grew up in the business and yeah. I knew all these guys, and I had a love and a passion and a respect for it from the get go. Yeah, and everybody knew that, and so and that's how most second generation wrestlers were treated. Uh, but when you have somebody approaching that we would call an outsider, somebody that wants to come into our family, yeah. Well, then they're going to be they're going to be tested. You know, in other words, you know, they're going to be tested as far as their respect and what have you for the industry they're they're getting in. So those people are going to probably, in some ways, find it a little tougher. But in terms of just uh, you know the work i mean you know you, you got to learn to do the work yeah it's kind of like uh there was there was a, a one particular guy who who made the statement to me one time oh yeah dbs you know you're you're the main inventor and all that stuff because you know your dad was a wrestler you have all this favor with all these promoters and i looked at him i said let me tell you something pal i said i may have gotten a break and i may have been given the opportunity ahead of somebody else because sometimes as you say it's not what you know but who you know i said but the bottom line in this business is this if you can't put butts in those seats out there you're gone exactly and i said i put butts in seats and i said because i can put the butts in the seats that's why i continue to be a, a main inventor and i put there i don't care who you are in any business if you can't produce then you're not going to be there long mm-hmm and and again, the funks were, you know, it wasn't like they were my trainers in, in the physical sense of the word, like they took me in a gym and they trained me. You know, they basically, wrestling is one of those things where, you know, uh, they take you to a gym and you learn the basics. In other words, you learn how to take a bump. You learn how to... You know, you learn the basic holes, a headlock, you know, uh, a leg lock, you know, how to take a guy over, how to take a slam and give a slam, how to hit the ropes, how to fall from your feet to your back. I mean, that's the most unnatural thing to do. Yeah. To tell somebody, stand up and I want you to hit your back as as, as fast and hard as you can. You go, what are you, crazy? So they teach you those things. But the real art of wrestling is taught in the ring. Yeah, in front of the crowd, it's it's on the job training. So they were my teachers, and as as more of like they were coaches in that they would watch me, and then they would critique me after the match. But the greatest yeah. the greatest teacher is doing it, and I think you know again uh, I'm that I'm from that generation. The probably one of the biggest things that a lot of the young guys today are at a disadvantage of is. Not having the opportunity because back when I got into our industry, there were so many places to go. There were all of these territories and all of those territories had both very seasoned professionals mm-hmm. and then they have the young guys coming up. Uh, well, and when, when Vince started this whole, you know, when he made the big move to go national, yeah. well, he had to go draw his talent from somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so they came from mid-south and georgia and uh mid-atlantic and florida and all those territories yeah uh but that's what happened is that he he became so big that those small territories could no longer compete with him no and they very you know over a period of a couple of years you know they just went away so now where do you get the new talent 
Yeah. You know, so now we have a developmental program and it's pretty good. You know, the, the thing in Orlando is probably the best I've, I've, I've seen in turn, like NXT. Uh, they're teaching them right. And yeah. it's, it's, that's the one thing that there is no substitute for is ring time in front of a live crowd. That's where you learn. And I think it's great too with NXT, like how they, it's not just learning how to wrestle within the WWE brand, you're also taking acting classes, you're taking promo classes, you're, you know, they're showing you, you know, how to face the hard cam, you know, like how, when you wrestle, where to look, you know, like, mm-hmm. like the little things like that you would never think because, you know, this is such a production now, there's mm-hmm. things that you, you probably didn't have to deal with, like where are the cameras at, you know, like mm-hmm. you probably just went out and wrestled the match and let them shoot it. Mm-hmm. But now, you know, you know where your cameras are at, you know where, where mm-hmm. to get your your good look or where to get up on the ropes and cheer yeah. you know you not to do the other corner nobody you know nobody can the cameras aren't there so you learn i think you learn those things as well and uh and that's great is does it, it surprise you that that terry and dory still wrestle on occasion today oh uh, my well I, I don't well yeah it does <laughs> i mean my gosh i mean i'm 63 which makes dory funk jr at least at least 73 yeah I think he's even. I think he's even older than that. Well, when I saw Dory wrestle in '86, I thought he was old. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he yeah. was wrestling the Rujos. Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I don't think you'll see Terry anymore. Terry's had uh, a couple of physical things go on with him. You know, uh, uh, some intestinal issues. I think of, uh, as of late. So, of course, you know, I, I I love Terry. He's like he's more of a brother than anything. And. I've always I've told him I said Terry I said you made a career out of retiring. He, he did. <laughs> he would retire, come back, <laughs> come back, get some free press out of oh, retiring, yeah. oh, come yeah, back, yeah, yeah, more press, yeah, yeah. retire again. He's the Brett Favre of wrestling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He, do you, so at one time I heard this uh, incredible story. It involved the Funks and the Briscoes when they were having a barbecue, and the Briscoes. Let's say it's the Funks and the Briscoes showed up, and uh, or actually it would make more sense if Briscoes were having a barbecue and the Funks would show up, but. Uh, one guy brought a date and she wasn't she wasn't smartened up to everything so everybody else there was except for her and she walked in and she's like oh my god what are the what are the funks doing here and then all of a sudden they had to start a barbecue brawl to to be like what are you doing here and then they got into this huge brawl and then they kicked out the funks and they said sorry we'll maybe try the barbecue next weekend uh well when she's not here but you know i found it i think that story is insanely crazy that they started a backyard brawl just to save the business and to protect the business right has there ever been a situation where you've ever had to protect the business or would or what would be to the situation like how far would you go to protect the business well there's another story with the with the funks but this was before i was in the business now my my dad and dory funk senior were very good friends and they had well they had one of the longest recorded wrestling matches they had a three hour and 15 minute texas oh death match jeepers in amarillo texas in 1966 and they would go back to the dressing rooms the doctors would check them and things like that but imagine holding holding the attention of a crowd for three and a half hours and uh so there was this feud between the funks and the dibiases right mm-hmm. or dory funk senior and, and iron mike dibiase that was the that was the big feud 
And so everybody knew it and what have you. And, and, I, and I don't know if we were on vacation, whatever we were or passing through. We came through Texas and we went out to Dory's ranch out in the country near Amarillo. And actually, they lived in a little one blinking light town. They didn't live in the town, but they lived. Their, their ranch was out in the country near this little place called Umbarger. Mm-hmm. And so we are there and uh, fr- friends of the Funks show up unexpectedly and so we have to put on this big scene <laughs> you know of, an of, impromptu of my, play an, an, uh, yeah an, an impromptu play of my, of my dad telling us you know to get in, get in the car and, and Dory and him just start having this fight and I, I can't even remember what they made up in terms of why we were at his door yeah and so we we you know we slam the doors of our cars and, and we leave <laughs> <laughs> the embarrassing thing is we left and we got about to the end of the, of the driving out you know to the road Road, yeah. which was about three quarters of a mile and realized that my youngest brother John wasn't in the car no so then we had to turn around and go back and and then and, and, and bang on the door and and open there I said can we have our son <laughs> give me back my <laughs> yeah, son yeah, yeah 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 it was crazy but it was just one of those things where they uh you know they an impromptu protect the business that's that's insane that's fantastic so you came up and you were wrestling a lot in the mid-south um i always wanted to know because i always heard legends like like how how over was junkyard dog in the mid-south oh my gosh uh he was over over. i mean he was so over i you know and i'm not i i can't absolutely verify this story but i know like when the uh when the saints won the super bowl Mm mm-hmm for the first time and you started hearing the chants who dat yeah who dat who dat say gonna beat them saints who dat well the NFL was gonna try to patent that and they couldn't no because that originated with JYD really yes who dat who dat who dat say gonna beat that dog who dat and I tell you, Bill Watts was was very smart and way ahead of his time because you know for all those years, you know, and we you know we ha- we had a couple of you know those like pork chop cash, and there were two or three other you know uh, guys that were that were that were black wrestlers. I mean, we weren't prejudiced in any way, mm-hmm. you know. But Bill's the first guy to step out and make his feature star. Of course. Maybe up until that time, nobody had come along with the kind of charisma, charisma. yeah, to do it. And and that's the one thing about JYD. Don't misunderstand anything I'm saying. I love the guy. He was a, he was the best man at my wedding. Uh, we were very good friends, and we made a lot of money together. And JYD, he was not the greatest wrestler, but he is the greatest. He was one of the greatest guys I've ever seen in my life on the microphone. Yeah, he had so much charisma, and he appealed to everybody. Mm-hmm. And and that's what Bill saw in him, and in, in a roundabout way, it's, it's how I became a heel. You know, there was JYD, and then there was me. There was the the top black guy and the top white guy. Yeah. You know? and, and so uh, Ernie Ladd was booking mm-hmm. for Bill Watts, 
and I was one of the guys. You know, I would go to I would go to Japan at least once a year, you know, and I would you know I would go up to Kansas City and back with St. Louis and back for matches, and and so I was the only one that was kind of traveling out of the territory from mm-hmm. time to time. So what Ernie said to me was, he said, "Look," he said, "while you're traveling," he says, "be looking around." He said, "we need a new." heel we need a stud we need a top heel you know we need a heel yeah for you and jyd you know i I used to choose i used to i used to choose i used to tease the dog and i say look man i said you know your music plays and you roll that wheelbarrow (laughs) out there with the junk in it you know you get up on the apron and you you shake you shake your booty a little bit and howl at the moon like a dog and you're making all the money so the match is over in five minutes and he'd just laugh. So I started thinking about it. And then it just hit me. And I, I can still remember going to Ernie Ladd's hotel room uh, in Shreveport, knocking on his door. And I said, Ernie, I found your heel. And he said, who? Where? I said, you're looking at him. i never forget this. Ernie took two steps back, and I watched his eyes just get real wide. And he went, oh, my gosh. That's great. He said, that is a great idea. Yeah. And have you ever been up to a heel at that point yet? I had had never been a heel. Well, when I first started, I wanted to be a heel Mm -hmm. because my dad was. Yeah. But it's hard to be a heel when you you first start because heels are supposed to call the match. Yeah. You know, I wasn't a heel very long. Plus, I was 21, and I, you know, I didn't look like. No, heel. you literally probably had a baby face back. Oh, then. I yeah, literally. I mean, I was 20 minute one and looked like I was 18. <laughs> yeah, that was just the first time I was really a heel, and uh, so turning on JYD was huge. I mean, especially because there was so much history. Yeah. Number one, the fans in Mid South had grown up with me. I mean, they had watched me from the beginning. You know, and so they'd watch me, you know, go and then come back. And, and uh, everybody knew the history. Everybody knew JYD and I were friends. I mean, I mean, this this is regional wrestling. So you pull up to the, the, the building and, you know, we're, we're, we ride together all the time. And, you know, when I got married, word got out that, you know, you know, JYD was my best. People knew the history. Mm-hmm. So for me to turn on my best friend like that was just fantastic. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, it was inevitable. It was just, uh, and we made we made a ton money. of money. Yeah, it was money. That's great. Uh, yeah, because I always, always loved the junkyard dog. Like when I was a kid, you know, I probably started watching maybe about '84, but quickly, you know, Hulk Hogan, Ricky Steamboat, junkyard dog. Those were like my three guys right away. And then eventually, the more I start reading and the more I start learning about wrestling. Yeah, I started liking the bad guys. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm a bad guy guy. I like, you know, my favorite wrestlers are Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan. It's Hollywood Hogan. It's fantastic. You, so, you like, I want to talk about Hulk sir, for a second. So, in set, you had his first match in Madison Square Garden. Is that not correct? In 79? That's correct. And then, so, how did you find dealing with Hulk Hogan in 79 as compared to when you came into the WWE in the late 80s? Well, in '79, obviously, you know, uh, we were both pretty young, but I had I had more time and tenure than he did, and this was his not his first match, but his first match in Madison Square Garden, mm-hmm. and he was the heel and I was the babyface, and basically, uh, Vince Senior gave me. He said, you know, I asked him how he wanted it. He said, I was putting him over. 
and I was on my way out. I was the last last match I had in New York in in the New York territory at that time. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, he says he said, Ted, he says, do it any way you want. I know you'll do it right, which was wow. And so uh, Hulk never forgot it either. No, I, you know, I put him over, and he said he said that that day. He says, thanks, buddy. He says, I owe you one. And, the, and when I came, you know, years later, now he's become this megastar. Mm-hmm. Of course, it was just, you know, WrestleMania 3 had just happened and all that. But when I first, when we first hooked up and saw each other again, he shook my hand and he said, it's payback time. Wow, that's fantastic. Never forgot. No. And so, uh, and, and of course, we worked very well together. Yeah. You, yeah. you guys were fantastic. You know, and I, I've always said this, I, you know, I said, you know, people don't give uh, Hulk Hogan enough credit. People think, well, you know, he's not really a great wrestler. I said, yes, he is. I disagree. Because he knows what his gimmick is. Yeah. Uh, I said, when you're you're his size, you're not throwing arm drags and and drop kicks. No. You're not not being the technical wrestler that I was. Yeah. You don't do that because you don't have to. No, he his size, he worked your gimmick. Yes. And he worked his gimmick extremely well. And I, I here, here's where I would go. If you doubt his ability to wrestle, watch the match that he gave the Ultimate Warrior when he put him over for the title. He made the Ultimate Warrior look unbelievable. Oh yeah. And I said, and and, and all of that was Hulk. All of it. It, mean, was. it yeah. was. Warrior, you know, Warrior had a, Warrior had a great body. He had a great look. He had a lot of charisma. But he, he's a guy who he had to be led. Scott Hall, uh, for a while he had uh, Last Call with Scott Hall up on on YouTube where he would sit with Larry Zabisco and he would commentate matches from the WWE. And one of the matches they did was Hogan versus Warrior. And Scott Hall is just such a, you know, I guess after working with Hogan and everything, he's, he's a buddy and he's a big fan of Hogan. And he was saying, like, look at Hulkster. Like, he goes, look at the wrists on the Warrior. Look at how small the wrists are on the warrior. The warrior was not a big guy. He was just maxed out to the, the possible. And he goes, and look at him, how heavy he's breathing. He's blowing up right now, and it's like five minutes into the match. And he's like, this is all Hulkster. Like, and you could see, as he told you, sorry, it's really great watching with the wrestler's perspective how he's saying Hulkster's just carrying him through this match. And it's just that match... I remember I drifted away from Hulkster at that point because I got tired of the repetitiveness of the three years. That was just, mm-hmm. it seemed like it was the same match. But hey, it's, I think the, the smartest thing I ever heard Virgil say or in an interview was whenever, or maybe you said it, was whenever Hogan dropped that leg, all you heard was cha-ching, you know, like your cash register. Yeah. You know, and that, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Right. But eventually, you know, February 5th, 1988, I remember that like yesterday. I was in grade nine. I was supposed to go to a high school dance that night, and we moved Saturday night's main event to Friday, and it was the big deal. It was your night, and I always wondered about this. I thought the funniest line in the whole scenario, of course, everybody knows what happens. Hogan uh, lost the belt unfairly, and, and you bought the title off Andre, and you purchased Andre weeks earlier off of uh, Bobby Heenan, and you found the other Hebner, and you brought him in. And, and what I love is where Hogan says in the interview afterwards was, how much for the plastic surgery? Like, that to me was the funniest line like i would have just thought oh you found out this this referee had a twin brother 
and you went and brought him in. <laughs> but that's not the storyline. The storyline the, the story is you went out and got another human being, gave them the plastic surgery yeah. to look like a referee yeah. to swindle Hogan out of the yeah. belt. I was like, that's ridiculous. That's too far. Oh, like, yeah. you know, yeah. but I did. Would that have been a line that he had to hit in his promo or was that just a line that he threw in off the top I, I, of his I mind? I think he threw that in. That's I, the yeah, funniest was, line ever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How much for the how much for the plastic surgery? Yeah. I mean, he, you know, again, back then. You know, we didn't have writers. Mm-hmm. We didn't have scripted interviews. We had bullet points. Yeah. And as long as we hit the bullet points, we told the story. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't know that you actually held that title for a week and you defended it at house shows, did you not? Yeah. Yeah. And that's fine. But yeah. Well, I don't know so much as I defended it, but, you know, I was, you know, I was, I walked to the ring for a week, maybe two. Now, wearing the belt, you know, and being introduced as, you know, the, the WWF world champion. So you won the bet between you and Steve Williams. <laughs> the bet that I talked about last night. Last night we were talking in the bar and I brought up a story of, of the old wrestling magazines like The Wrestler and Pro Wrestling Illustrated. And I was, uh, there was an old article that I was very fond of because I was a big fan of Dr. Death, Steve Williams. And it said that you guys were tag teams. I'm, I'm just letting the listeners know. We already need to discuss this. But um, it said that they were a tag team in the UWF before they, uh, they each left their separate ways. One went to Atlanta, one came to New York, and uh, they had a, a gentleman's bet on who would win the world title first. And the article was done. Steve Williams doesn't pick beat Ric Flair. He's a failure. And to be honest, I don't I don't think Steve Williams could beat Ric Flair in in, in, a, in a wrestling world like the wrestling thing is just Ric Flair's too big of a star. I just feel, but uh, but you definitely you know you were a mega star, and uh, that first SummerSlam like here we are on SummerSlam weekend. And like I said last night, you know, there wouldn't be SummerSlam without the Million Dollar Man. Those years, you were the top heel, and you were just fantastic. And so SummerSlam, let's, can we talk about SummerSlam for a little bit? What was the buildup like that? Uh, having Jesse come in, like, how did that, like, SummerSlam didn't even exist. So what, how did that all come about? Did they're like, we're going to do a summer WrestleMania? Is you know, that, I, I, you know, uh, you remember I was, I, you know, I can't remember to be honest. Oh, well, that's, uh, well, I, I just, it was, you know, that was still when things were developing. It was kind of like, like you said, it was the first SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, up until that time, you know, it was like there was one pay-per-view. Yeah. WrestleMania. WrestleMania. So now we're going to have SummerSlam, you know, and now we're going to have. Survivor Series. Survivor Series, you know. So, you know, they, they ended up, obviously, they ended up with four, four, four major events a year, you know, one in each, for each season. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I know that it ended up me and Andre. Yeah. You know, against Hogan and Savage. And, the Mega uh, Bucks and the Mega Powers. Right. And uh, I lost the match because Elizabeth popped her top popped or whatever her dress, her dress, dress you know and and I went wide eyed and, and <laughs> while I'm wide eyed looking at that disbelief I get hammered <laughs> uh, I missed you getting hammered because I was looking at the disbelief <laughs> I always used to love uh, especially when I go back and I watch wrestling they have what I call the Liz shot um, every time she'd be walking to the ring the cameraman would be at the top of the stairs 
and they'd show her coming up the stairs and they'd show this cleavage shot of her uh. and when I was a kid I just that was my favorite part of, of Randy Savage matches and then well Macho Man himself was fantastic but but I, I always loved Liz even when they brought her back in the, in the NWO and she was like this is a cougar Liz you know she's yeah. in wearing black leather and yeah. she looks really hot like right. I I almost prov- uh, uh, like the cougar Liz to the prom gown dress Liz right. Right. you know it seems like yeah you were you really got in the WWF at the right time because all these pay-per-views are starting like you know, you were an essential part of Survivor Series as well. When you go in a Survivor Series and then you bring out The Undertaker as part of your team. I don't know if that was the first or the second one, but uh, I think it was the second one that you brought out The Undertaker. The first one might have just been. I think so. Yeah. Not, uh, you know, they it, all, it, it all, it all, yeah. like, you know, it's when you watch Brock Lesnar doing interviews with people, he's like, memories. I don't have memories. I don't, your mem- they're your memories. They're not my memories. Right. <laughs> like, right. So, um, what was it like? What did you, uh, did you enjoy working? with sherry scary sherry how did you like working with her sherry was great sherry was uh she had a lot of energy she was you know she was like one of the guys i mean she was literally she was tough yes she was tough and you know as far as having her as a manager you know she had so much enthusiasm i had to kind of rein her in it was like you know don't do too much sherry Hmm. i said because you know like sometimes you know little is more yeah, and you don't and, want to take away from the match yeah, either if you're outside. Right, and so kind of like if, if we're going to do a finish and it, it involves, you know, distracting the referee, then don't distract the referee at any other time during the match. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, so if if you wave it and you save it till that one point, then it, may, it means a whole lot more. So little things like that. But no, I, had, I, loved, I loved working with Sherry. She was great. That's fantastic. Also, uh, I wanted to ask you about the styles. I, we touched on this last night. How did you feel about like the adjusting your styles? Like when you wrestled in Japan, how do you feel like uh, the WWE style compared to the Japan style? You know, Japan is just a different. It's a different culture, and the wrestling there. I mean, it's kind of like. Um, I would tell people it's almost like a three-quarter shoot. It's very snug. The one thing, though, when I the in the like when I left Japan and then I went to the WWE, and then I and then when I went I went back for that short time until I hurt my neck. Mm-hmm. What amazed me when I went back was there was a little bit difference. Then I was I was noticing now that they were doing a lot more flying around, mm-hmm. a lot more. Yeah, and I said that's not good because you know it's like okay. Again, less is more. Yeah. It's kind of like if you want to present this, the best way to present it, I don't care who you are or how long you're in it, the best way to present it is the most realistic. Make it look as real as possible. Yeah. And when you got guys that are doing moves and and fancy flips and and what have you and hitting the ground and bouncing to their feet like nothing happened, Mm -hmm. then it's not real. Yeah, so I saw that start to happen in Japan. Now they're still snug. Yeah, they still wrestle a lot more. You know, they weren't as over the top with the, I guess the caricatures. You know, like the Million Dollar Man. Basically, I, I was like Snidely Whiplash. You know, uh, you know the J.R. Hewing of wrestling. You know, yeah. uh, you, you know, only thing, only thing I didn't have was the, you know, the the handlebar mustache. handlebar mustache. You know, and. You know, wringing my hands, and I'm going to tie the maiden to the track. You know, but I had the <laughs> the over the top laugh and all of that stuff in the interviews. But when I got in the ring and I took off the monkey suit, yeah, I wrestled the same way I always did. 
Yeah. And and that was as believably as I could possibly present it. I loved your fist drop. It's still one of my favorite. <laughs> yeah. The way you come down with the fist. Yeah, that's that's what's wrong with my left shoulder now. <laughs> because that's what was taking all the impact. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, uh, I love Japanese wrestling. I watch a lot of it. And when I was working at a restaurant, there was a Japanese dishwasher student that was over on exchange. He barely spoke any English. And I was trying to tell him. I love Japanese wrestling and I'm just trying to and I'm like so I can't speak Japanese but I can name about 20 Japanese wrestlers uh -huh. so I start naming him all these Japanese I'm like Antonio Noki, uh, Tashiyami Fujiyami and I'm like trying to get him like do you understand wrestling because then if we if he understands wrestling then we can have conversations without right. without are you speaking each other's language so then one day and I used to work in a restaurant where I had to dress up like a cowboy so I had to wear a cowboy hat and I was I'm a big guy you know and uh, and then one day he said, uh, he's, I, I thought he called me handsome. He said, so handsome. I was like, I'm handsome? So handsome. So I'm handsome. Thank you. But that's very nice of you. No, no. So handsome. I was like, wait a minute. Are you saying Stan Hansen? He's like, Stan Hansen. I was like, oh my God. I was happier that he said Stan Hansen than so handsome. Because yeah. I was like, yes, I've broken through to him. Yeah, right. He knows wrestling. Right. Yeah, because of Stan Hansen, who, you know, as oh, you know, yeah. he used to be a tag partner of yours, and he made a career over there in, in oh, wrestling. Stan Hansen, without a doubt, is probably, you know, I would say Stan Hansen and Terry Funk are the two most famous foreign wrestlers to ever wrestle in Japan. Yeah. Yeah, and, and maybe Bruiser Brody. What was Bruiser Brody like? Bruiser Brody was a great guy. He yeah. was, you know, he's just different, different character. I mean, just, but very serious about business. You know, he was not going to allow any promoters to screw him. <laughs> was he legitimately, like we talked about last night, the toughest guys? Was he legitimately one of those guys that was as tough as he appeared? You know, I never heard any stories about him in terms of, I know that he never took any crap. Yeah. Uh, from anybody no uh, and, you know but he wasn't a bully he didn't push his you know he he was always about business yeah. what's best for business and if he if he thought you were doing something with him that wasn't best for business then he you know that's when he would object mm -hmm. you know and so he had a lot more you know you know uh, he had more guts in terms of that kind of savvy when dealing with promoters yeah uh, and he was pretty notorious for that you know I, I mean uh, you know, he was booking in Puerto Rico, you yeah. know, and he was calling the shots and that was because of something he asked to be done. You know, it, it offended that one guy and then yeah. I knifed him and killed him. That's horrible. Yeah. Horrible. Um, have you ever, have you ever been asked to do anything that you didn't want to do in the ring? And uh, have you ever not done it or anything like that? Usually... Well, even like even when I went to work for Vince, you know, he said we can agree to disagree. Ted, he says, I don't want you to be a yes man. He says, if if you if we ask you to do something and you don't like it, tell us. He said, but you know, at the same time, don't tell us you don't like it without giving us an alternative. Mm -hmm. In other words, okay, you can tell me that you don't like it. But tell me what what can we do instead that's better? Yeah, that's you know, reasonable. And, and then then he also said, but here's what you need to understand at the end of the day: we can agree to disagree, and you can not like something, and you can give me what you think is a better idea. But at the end of the day, we're spending my money. 
And as long as we're spending my money, we're going to do what I want. That's awesome. And I couldn't argue with that. No, well, it's, you know, you know, but at least I knew I had that he was going to penalize me or, or, you know, kind of like, like, you know, this, this, this guy, you know, what what a jerk. He he doesn't agree with me, Mm -hmm. you know, so in in that respect, but uh, I was always able to work it out. Yeah. You know, uh, people ask that question all the time. They said, you know, we all, everybody hears that, you know, originally you were going to win WrestleMania four, you know, somehow. And, and then that didn't happen. Uh, and I said, here's the deal. I said, originally it was talked about, Mm -hmm. but then it was, uh, uh, Pat Patterson who suggested to me, he said, that's what the people expect really based on what we've done so what if we throw the people the curve you don't win at wrestlemania but instead you lose Mm -hmm. and in your arrogance create your own title that's fantastic as soon as he said it i said that's the money yeah i mean you it's kind of then it's like you you totally arrogant you know, butthead, you know, who do you think you are? And I said, I made more money being the million dollar man carrying the million dollar title than I ever would have been. Because if I had been the world champion, mm-hmm. it would have been very short lived because, again, in the WWE, 95% of the time your champion is a baby face. Yes. Because kids who watch the show want their their guys to be champion. They're, they're good guys. Yes. And so... Heel champions are transitional. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and I tell people that all the time. They say, oh, you should have been world champion. I said, look, world champion doesn't mean. I said, championship belts in our industry, they're props. Yeah. And I said, now, yeah, you go back to the WWE, the, the NWA. Obviously, in the NWA, you had to have somebody who could carry it. You had to have a guy in there who could work with anybody who could carry anybody. That's your champion. Well, it also, you know. yeah, it also made sense though too. Like, if if your if your champion is like Ric Flair and he's traveling through all these territories, you want your face going up against your champion. You like you want your baby face in your promotion yeah. going up against the champion. Well, yeah, well, and that, but see, that, that's the thing about being the the world champion. Now, most of the guys that wore the world title in the NWA, mm-hmm. they were heels everywhere except in their home territory. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, uh, Jack Briscoe. Jack Briscoe was a heel everywhere except Florida. You know, uh, Dory Funk, Terry Funk, they were a heel everywhere except in Amarillo, in that territory. That's interesting. You know. Yeah, I guess so, eh? It's like, uh, yeah, it's not so much like that. Like, that's the thing, the territories, they're gone. They're not but again, there again, you know, like people always say, well, aren't, aren't, don't, don't you wish you could have at least said you were you had been the world champion? I said, oh, it'd be nice to say, but at the end of the day, it's not that big a deal. No, it's, and like now you hear things like they're, you know, like I used to like it when they say we're going for the belts or we're taking the straps home and and now you you're apparently on WWE you're not allowed to say straps you're not allowed to say titles because it's a championship and a, right. and it's a, it's not a belt it's not a strap it's a championship yeah. it has value and uh, the value is $450 at the concession stand where you can buy all the belts now oh, yeah. including the million dollar belt and like they actually uh, at the last raw I went to they had one concession stand all belts no cash just debit and credit cards and i'm like 
you know, I'm a bit of a tradition. Like you say they're props and I agree with that. But at the same time, it's just like, well, not everybody can be the million dollar man and just buy their own yeah. belt. <laughs> and when I see these guys, you know, my age walking around with the belts, unless they have a signature on them, like if I would yeah. get one, yeah. you know, I would love to get a belt and get it signed by three different champions that carried a certain belt. That would be fantastic to have in your home. But, you know, these guys that like, it's like, come on. You, you you can't even get down on and off the floor you you have and you have that belt you didn't even get it extra sized like andre got you know yeah. it, it just it's i i just think it's ridiculous although hey if you have belts at home folks uh congratulations on them uh what was it like working with andre do you have any andre stories for us andre was andre was a prince uh andre was one of the nicest guys I ever met he was just a class act. I mean, and most people who knew Andre knew this, that he either liked you or he didn't. Mm-hmm. And I will say this about Andre. He was generally a pretty good judge of character. Yeah. So if he didn't like you, you were an ass. <laughs> <laughs> and probably just about everybody else would agree with Andre that that person was, you know. And, you know, there's people that he, he put in their place. I mean, and one of the, one of the greatest stories is, uh, oh, the big heavy set guy with the flames on his head. Bam, bam. Bam Bam. Yeah, when Bam Bam first came to WWF, he came in with a bit of an attitude. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to like 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 star or whatever and anyway, uh the the night that I had I I had a cage match with with Savage in New York at Madison Square Garden. The match just prior to that was Andre and Bam Bam Bigelow and Bam 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 stormed and stormed into the dressing room and grabbed his clothes, threw him in his bag, slammed his bag shut, and walked out the door and said, "I quit." Apparently, Andre had roughed him up a bit during that match, and uh, to teach him a lesson. And Bam Bam came back later. They brought him back. Yeah. And after that, he said, "It's the greatest thing that ever happened to me." He says, "It really smartened me up." That's great. Yeah. yeah. I remember hearing stories like uh, I think Steve Lombardi was on a podcast and he said he was in a battle royal and he was at the bottom and Andre was on top of him but then they were doing the part where everybody piles on Andre yeah and then uh, apparently he said Andre uh, says down to well Steve Lombardi's like don't worry boss I got you you know and then everybody just on Andre and right because you get crushed under that I can only imagine you know but if he didn't like you (laughs) yeah 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 if he didn't like you he did but we you know we got along uh, great I mean I met Andre before I was in the WWF, I met him when I was still playing football in, in Texas, West Texas State. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's one of the stories I tell when I'm, you know, uh, doing my stand-up thing about taking him to this bar. You know, and the barmaid comes up and goes, what will you have? And Andre looks at her and goes, do you have trash can? <laughs> <laughs> We've got several trash cans, sir. Big trash can. Yeah, we got a lot of big trash cans. This empty trash can. Fill it with ice and beer. And she looks at me and I went, do it. <laughs> I was like, it's a simple request. Four or five cases of beer on ice and a gigantic trash can sitting at your table. That's hilarious. Hey, it's just a big ice bucket. Yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> He's yeah. not a champagne guy, yeah, clearly. Yeah, and, and, of course, you know, Andre had wrapped his hand around a can of beer. You, couldn't see, you could not see it. That's insane. Huge hands. You have a movie 
coming up about your life, true? Uh, it's a docudrama, yes. It's entitled uh, The Price of Fame. And uh, if everything goes as planned and stays on schedule, the date is uh, Tuesday, November the 7th, and it will be in select theaters between 500 to 700 select theaters all over the the, the United States. And it is, uh, you know, it's, it's a story of my... Not only my spiritual redemption, but my personal redemption—the redemption of my 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 marriage, uh, the relationship with my with my sons, and uh, insight into into the wrestling industry just a little bit. Uh, but more than that, it's 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 about my life. And you know, we we've done this in the hopes that you know, we'll you know, people say, well, "What do you want people to take away from it?" I would want people to understand that. That power, money, prestige are not the things in life that really make you happy. That at the end of the day, that when you have a strong character and you're a person of integrity, uh, and when you put the needs of your family, your wife, your children, your friends, and others, when you put their needs in front of your own, and when you, when you learn that you're going to find much greater joy in serving the needs of others than in serving yourself. That that's where you find real joy. And that's where I have found real joy. And, you know, that's what I would hope that people would, would take away from this, you know. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I can't. Well, unfortunately, I'm in Canada, so I will not see the movie unless it's playing in Buffalo and I can make it down there. Or unless, actually, November? I don't know. I might be in the States. But if you were out there, uh, I urge you to go see this movie November 7th in uh, select theaters. Check your local listings. Um, you know, we'll just, I don't know how that works. I don't know how af- after this event happens, you know, how they go about, you know, you know I don't even know if they do Where's the next step after yeah, that? I don't know what that is. I is mean, it Netflix? I, I know that uh, they, uh, they've obviously talked about going international, and I don't know if that's just in, in DVD sales or or if there's a way. I, or I, film I, festivals. I mean, do you guys ever, in, in Canada, have you ever, are there any movies that ever air there? Oh, yeah. That are like for a, a day? For one day, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, well uh, you know, that could be the next step. Yeah. So, the, you know, it's a, so yeah, it happens all the time. And uh, especially during, well, film festivals. Right. Toronto is one of the biggest film festivals in, in the world. Right. Next to cons, it's probably number two or three. And uh, so a lot of movies are premiered there and played. I saw The Wrestler there. That's right. uh, when, it, when it premiered. Right. And uh, it was, well, I was, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. But, um, but yeah. Uh, so we're going to wind this up. Uh, I will just do some quick little uh, this or that's with you and you can just say okay. I'll just say a couple things and you just say which one you prefer like okay. like if I was to say Hall or Nash wow <laughs> <laughs> we're in Detroit so you may want to be oh favorable gosh, yeah well Nash okay uh, uh, Demolition or Road Warriors Demolition uh, WC- no, no, no 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 I'm oh. sorry Road Warriors Road Warriors yeah uh, WCW or um, or uh, WWF WWF uh, WCW or NWO? NWO. For life? For life. <laughs> All right. Uh, Steve Williams or Steve Austin, which is also Steve Williams? God, Lord. Steve Williams was my buddy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then you brought Steve Austin yeah. in as the ringmaster. Right. That's so, why I'm asking. <laughs> yeah. That's like, a, you know, it's kind of like a toss-up. But Steve, Steve Williams and I were much closer friends. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. I have... Uh, 
I met him at uh, WCW Mayhem in Toronto. He wasn't wrestling that night, but I was, I was always a big varsity club guy. I loved the Steiners and Mike Rotundo. Let, yeah, let me tell you, uh, there was, you know, I, I was at Steve's funeral and uh, Barry Switzer was there and spoke, as was Dan Abel, who was the wrestling coach. Yeah, because he was at All American in both at Oklahoma, and and um, one of the guys uh, that Steve wrestled when he was in college, you know, was uh, an Olympic gold medalist, uh, Bruce Bumgarner. Okay, and Dan Abel during Steve's funeral said that Dan, you know, Dan Abel said that Bruce Bumgarner, who won the Olympic gold medal. In the heavy as a heavyweight wrestler, said that had Steve Williams been a one sport athlete, he said I'd have never beat him. He said I just barely beat him. Yeah, as it is, and that's with the understanding that he spent half his time playing football. Yeah, where most other you know by the time you get to the college level, you pick your sport. You pick your sport, it. and that's it. Yeah, but you know that's a, an enormous compliment. That is, and Barry Switzer, yeah, he was yeah. such a legendary coach for Oklahoma. Um, uh, what else? Uh, Sherry or Sonny? Sherry. Obviously, me too. Um, maybe a couple more. Uh, Virgil or Zeus? Zeus. Zeus? How did you like working with Tiny Lister? Was he hard to work uh, with? No, he was a great guy. Yeah. He was a great guy. He's in, uh, for those of you who don't know, Tiny Lister from Armed and Dangerous with John yeah. Candy. Uh, Dark Knight Rises, uh, fantastic. He's he had a look and everything. Obviously, what you know, he's never a great wrestler. He was never expected to be. Well, he's an actor, but but yeah. you know, this was his thing, you know. And uh, you know, Virgil's Virgil's just another story. So that's um, for another podcast. <laughs> Undertaker or Under Faker? Undertaker. Yeah, but well, you brought them both in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, that's it. We'll close out on that. Uh, hey, um, Ted, where are you going to be? What's going on with you besides the movie November 7th? Is there somewhere where people can reach you at or tweet at you or anything like that? Oh, yeah. yeah. MDM Ted DiBiase is on, on Twitter. Uh, you know, I've got a public Facebook page, you know, Million Dollar Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I've got a website. So actually, actually, two websites. MillionDollarMan.com and HeartOfDavidMinistry.com, which will soon become just HOD.world. Okay. Um, I just want to let you know this. uh, To prepare for this weekend, I Googled uh, a lot of uh, Ted DiBiase Million Dollar Man stuff. I didn't have to Google that much. But I did Google your net worth, and you are a million dollar man. So you you don't have to kayfabe any longer. You can just be proud. Uh, Also, Kurt Angle is also a gold medalist. Um, That's true, too. Uh, But uh, um, that's great. That's where you can reach Ted. You can reach us on TalkingWrestling at gmail.com. TNW Pod on the Twitter, uh, Instagram, Talking Wrestling Podcast. As for me, comedian Casey Corbin on Instagram, Casey Corbin on all other social medias. I'm the internet's number one Casey Corbin. Um, That's my bragging right. And that is pretty much it. Ted, thank you for doing this. I appreciate you sitting down and taking time out of your busy schedule. And uh, I look forward to the show tonight. And um, thank you all for joining us uh, today on Talking Wrestling. And we'll see you next time. So until then, uh, have a great day. Thank you. Good night. Good day. Good afternoon.
Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Thank you.